0: So uh, before we launch into the episode, I want to talk about a new Vista for our show. And that is that Peter and I have received our f- f- first ever, probably last ever because no one, you know, comparative to the greater podcast community <laughs> listens to our show uh, as a piece of physical fan art, uh, two pieces to be specific. So uh, I wanted to, to, to put this in an episode. so, This will eventually go up on Trauma Support Group around the time this one goes out so that everyone can see it and have context for it. Amanda does a bead art. It is apparently a a sort of native um, style of art. And uh, she has harnessed her considerable talent in recreating two iconic Voyager screen caps in bead form. Uh, One of them is... Uh, The Juggalo Clown resting his head on Harry Kim's shoulder. And the other is Neelix saying hello to Tuvok right before he gets choked. And uh, (laughs) they are
1: fantastic. They're fucking amazing. And I never thought I'd be jazzed about seeing B-Dart. But lo and behold, here we are. I fucking love it. And I don't know. I'm going to have to decide if I want to hang that up at work or at home. I think... Probably work. I think if my kids see this, I'm gonna end up with bead art on the floor. So (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is a little I mean it's not like
0: you know, super fragile, but yeah, I think I think young young children might might cause Life
1: uh finds a way. I'll tell you that right now when it comes to little (laughs) kids' and stuff you care about, Joe, all right. Oh, that is one big pile of shit. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so uh to thank you uh no one should feel pressured to ever send us physical works of art but uh i guess if you want to hit me up you know like on twitter dms or facebook or something like that i certainly won't say no but uh thank you so much it was it was quite quite thoughtful she even sent one for my wife
1: uh, Steve, stevie got a simpsons one <laughs> i know yes. so speaking of good news Decent episodes of Enterprise. They're here. Season one, episode seven, the Andorian incident, which right off the jump. What a great title. You know, a lot of times in Star Trek uh, Voyager, obviously being the one that weighs the heavily, uh, the most heavy on us. You get these kind of abstract names or cute little plays on words or lots of Latin, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, here you got something real, real historical, real militant. The Andorian incident, like some shit's going to go on in this episode and it's going to be some big deal shit.
0: This episode is like a big deal for the entire run of the show. Like this is a seminal moment in the history of the galaxy uh, that the reverberations of which will be felt for years to come. And uh, it definitely is the first time Enterprise is showing its potential, in my opinion, as a show, like really like. That, that, that they've got kind of a plan for this that is different than what they've done before and more serialized I don't want to say too serious, not overly serious, but kind of right on the money
1: for where Trek can do this kind of storytelling and still feel like Star Trek. Story by Rick Berman Bram Braga Fred Decker, teleplay by Fred Decker and directed by one of my favorites well, as an in- actor i don't know if i can really say she's knocked any home runs out as with uh her direction but roxanne dawson old belana torres she did a couple episodes of voyager
0: she did riddles and then workforce part two so you neither of what like i guess workforce part two we were we were partial to because we really liked space mark great guy 10 out of 10 would would, would romance again You know, definitely the Mass Effect romance option that got the short Uh, shrift. Then Riddles was the one with Space Fox Mulder trying to find, like, the invisible people. Yeah. Tentacle monsters, to be specific. So they they were they were fine. Uh, She does 10 episodes of Enterprise, so she ends up doing a decent amount of the show overall. And Roxanne Dawson's career from this point forward is not of an actor. She directs mostly television from this point forward. So this is really her, you know, putting down her, her, her career as an actor, which makes sense given her age at this point, right? Like she's about the age that we are now at this time, you know? So she's been an actor for like 20 years. She's got kids. She's probably not wanting to have to do that grind anymore. And she's got this in to be in a director and do TV directing on network She's television
1: probably been traumatized where the majority of her acting career has involved uh two hours of them gluing rubber to her face and not having her own eyebrows so <laughs> i don't blame her for wanting to to get out of that uh career track and move into something where it's cool to wear a t-shirt and shorts to work
0: you know like like you said uh she she does a great job in this episode it is You know, there's nothing that goes on that is like a particular sort of like, you know, like Frakes with the way he likes to position cameras or or something that I would call a a Roxanne Dawson uh, trait in terms of like cinematography or anything like that. But, you know, she manages to put together a very compelling episode that uh, keeps you interested in everything that's going on for 45 minutes.
1: You know, maybe over the next nine more episodes of her directing we will pick up on something specific from her style and i want to i want to keep a close eye on jolene blaylock's boobs uh moving <laughs> do you do you want to keep a very close eye on the on her? Titties? for science for science okay no no um That's good you know being the one of the sexy elements towards the end of voyager's run she certainly got slathered down and put in a Tank tops and sexed up to be alongside uh, Jerry Ryan seven and nine. I'll be curious moving forward, paying attention. Like, how does she present such an obvious sex play? Like, where is that camera going to be? Are is she getting studio notes? Like, make sure you're showing off. Uh, you know the the spandex uniforms. We want the butts and the shots. So that'll be something for us to look at. Unfortunately, something for us to look at was a punishment here and i'm going to ask you joe you need to answer truthfully Mm -hmm. did you obey (laughs) what is that in klingon uh when you when you suffer pain beige if i'm to remember my (laughs) next generation vhs board game suffer beige that's a klingon punishment did you watch the title to atone for the sins of saying broken bow versus broken bow as it should have been called I i will honestly state to you that i did that I started it and I, I was like, okay, I have to let this wash
0: over me. And I think the darkest thing I can say about that process is that it it's, it is continuing to grow on me. It's like, I'm sort that of, like, I sort of jammed to it a little bit. And I, you know, I let, I let it really wash over me and like, it started to grow on me
1: the same way that, that, you know. A stage four cancer would grow on yeah, something. That's actually your your brain rotting. Yeah, I uh, I started it up and I was like, oh, cool, here we go. It's time for some Star Trek Voyager. Oh, here comes that damn opening. And I was like very happy to to pick were up the you, remote, hit the were, skip you wa-
0: were you watching Star Trek Voyager? I don't understand.
1: <laughs> it's like <laughs> and that would
0: have been a great dodge
1: of our of our uh of our situation. No, like no, I, just no, saw but but I was Voyager. like, oh good, I get to hit the skip button, and then I was like, ah, oh, god damn it, I can't. And I, I made myself. Not play with my phone. I, I sat there. I accepted my self-flagellation. And I actually tried paying attention to what the scenes in the intro were. Yeah, and same. Speaking of Jolene Blaylock, it's interesting when they bring her up. It's a rocket shooting up like a big boner. When her name comes up on the screen, that is the imagery you see. And I'm like, man, that's real on the head. Real, real on the head here. But um, it, it reminded me of the opening of Civ 4?
0: Civ 5. I think some of the graphics in the back. I did the same thing where I'm like, well, if I'm going to sit through this, I'm going to try and glean some kind of like additional additional thought of the creative process here. Uh, and instead, I just wound up jamming out to Discount Rod Stewart
1: it was great. I will say that when the song gets stuck in my head, which it does, and it gets stuck in my wife's head, too. But I get our intro stuck in my head. Not the <laughs> I get the good, bad one, not the real. Yeah, one. yeah, yeah. Maybe that's why
0: I've got this this that's growing on me because then I know I get to listen to uh our intro of our show and its perfection.
1: So this is gonna be a uh, a Vulcan specific episode for us. Um we open up with Archer talking to Trip, I believe. Well, I mean there's a pre very brief
0: teaser where uh there's this monastery looking place with a bunch of Vulcans and robes and then, you know, four Andorians break in. And it's interesting that four Andorians break in because this is the first time we've seen Andorians since the 60s, basically. I guess like except in background shots and like some of the movies. This is it. Like these guys have been a core race of the Federation, albeit in background material, For the entirety of Star Trek, and they've never been
1: on screen and developed in any way. With that in mind, I have to ask the question, why pick the Andorians as such a focus character race? Like, is this conflict that they are laying out the groundwork, has this been pre-established and, like, they have to, to say, all right, well, this is a cool story. We want to use these guys to be in conflict with the Vulcans and some Vulcan treachery. And, unfortunately, we've already established lore that it's the Andorians. Or they're like, hey, we can make literally anything we want, and we're going to choose to use this hokey-ass race of of blue Martians with antenna.
0: Well, the background material had always included the Andorians as literally one of the first races to join the Federation. They were a founding member, okay? So that's in the series Bible, so to speak. It's in the large canon of Star Trek. That was established in the 60s because the Andorian ambassador was part of that Journey to Babel episode where he had kind of introduced all of that with the Tellarite Ambassador and all of that, right? This idea that all of these species represent basically the core Federation members. So you had that. Now you're talking about a show that's literally taking place before that happens. And you're you're going through the process of Earth just, you know, meeting a Tellerite or meeting an andorian for the first time and so you're like okay we got to tell a story here of how all of these species decided that they were better off in a collaborative governmental uh structure with each other and okay what what do you want to do with that right now with the vulcans it's pretty clear how that's going to go you already have a lot more established information and lore with that but the andorians are a blank slate you got to do them you have to introduce them. You want to you flesh that out. That's the whole reason you're doing this show. Okay, well, what are we going to do?
1: Well, let's make them really militaristic and into beef with the Vulcans. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah, I mean, like, you have to acknowledge the fact that these are ridiculous looking characters. Oh,
0: sure. I, they are very 60s looking, you know, guys. But they, they had a striking look back then. And, you know, you don't want to go back on that,
1: right? Like. Yeah, I mean, obviously you can't make the stuff uh, from original series look any different in Berman era. Well, they made it look better.
0: They made it look way better in this. The antenna actually moving. Sure, the they do. But and again, and
1: I know you're saying, oh, there's a reason why you know, the fucking Klingons don't look like they're just wearing bra. You, you can radically change the way these guys look if you want. They chose not to. And I, I just <laughs> I'd like to see the makeup artist group that the day they got saddled like, hey, take Blue men with white hair and antenna, and somehow make them not look like ass. Like, e- I don't know. I, you, you, you could have done anything crazy and great or whatever. And you've got this super sixties retro thing. Do you think that the I, I, like Voy- it though. I want to defend this for a second before right. we move off the topic? Okay. Now that you've already said that you are growing fond of the terrible introduction, please uh, further humiliate yourself. By <laughs> listen,
0: I had to suffer through four years of doing Voyager reviews and listening to you go native. It's time for you to listen to me to go native so that you can understand what that was like. Anyway, the Andorians were cool. That look was cool in the 60s. It was wild. It was crazy. It's why it was more interesting than the Klingon makeup of just, uh, as Voltaire put it, Puerto Ricans dressed in gold lame. Preserving that because it looked iconic. It was like, what a fucking wild idea of these blue skin, tentacle, white hairs, like it stood out on screen. It was neat. And so that's why they want to keep it. It's like, because we already did something cool here. Let's keep doing it. Let's just make it a little bit better, a little more sleeker. Let's have the antennas move, you know.
1: Let's flesh out a backstory for these guys. Let's do it. Do you think that the heavy involvement in the Andorians moving forward is a result of them forecasting in the writer's room and saying this is a long plot line and we're going to get our mileage out of these guys? Or do you think that Jeffrey Combs just did such a great job nailing And Dorians, uh, that they say, all right, listen, this dude we can get some mileage out of this. I guess we'll keep him around and make him a big deal. So there was actually information not on memory
0: alpha, but on good (laughs) old there was on good old Wikipedia about this episode, believe it or not, that answers that specific question where they purposefully sought out Jeffrey Combs to play this character because he was such a known qu- quantity to them, obviously, from playing Wayun and Brunt on DS9. And they had the intention of, like, we we may turn this guy into a real supporting character on this show. So that's why we're calling you, because <laughs> we know you'll crush it. And so they went into this thinking that this was going to be something they developed. I think that they perhaps leaned into it more because combs crushed it as hard as they did but it was there was clearly the idea of like we need to establish these guys and we need to do something with this if we're going to tell the story of the formation of the federation which is really what the show is about
1: so they go in uh to this this monastery and i'm watching this go down and this episode really highlights something interesting out of next gen which is really the big absence of vulcans in next gen. And I think that was a result of data being such a big cast member and you can't have two logical machine like people. And if you're not going to focus, if you're not going to have a Vulcan on the bridge, which almost everything else since then has been right. Right. Every Spock, other show Tuvok. Uh, now you got her that, you know, you, you certainly did have Vulcan episodes in next gen, but I don't think even to a degree that we saw Klingon episodes. So Feels good seeing him go deep on this stuff, I think. Agreed. And also,
0: you could even say that there was more Vulcan stuff in frickin' Discovery. You know, they've always leaned hard into it. And you're right that TNG was quite a... I mean, aside from the Spock episodes... Unification. And then the one episode with Sarek, where he's, like, you know, doing his last, uh, you know, big treaty or whatever, and Picard's gotta, like, carry all of his emotional weight... Mm. That's it. That's really the extent of the Vulcan specific content on that entire show, which is kind of wild. But uh, they they are now back on Enterprise, and it's uh, Trip and and Archer kind of talking shit about how the Vulcan star charts don't have everything in it. That they're fighting stuff. And they're taking taking that sort of like delight that teenagers do when they when their adult teachers get something wrong in front of them, and they call in to Paul because archer has noticed that they're near a planet with a, a a vulcan monastery on it and wants to visit and uh to paul who has become very tired of taking these hairless apes on these field trips has a look on her face of no i don't i don't want to do this i don't want to be embarrassed by taking you to this place but archer insists and says uh actually you're gonna You're going to help try and make this happen because I'm in charge of you.
1: Yeah, you know, we're out here to meet things and and, and explore and whatever. And we're in the neighborhood. So let's try and make this happen. Go research what we got to do. Uh, Again, I'm already over the. The shittiness of the humans towards the Vulcans on the stuff like the absolute glee, like, oh, look, their star charts are wrong. We're going to rub it in their face. This is going to be so great. We flip over to the mess hall to a good conversation between uh to paul i'm sorry or as we like to say t paul that's like as you like to say t paul we we will say we will say <laughs> it will happen don't fight it just let it happen all right just, <laughs> just let it happen let it wash over you so <laughs> her and Flock sitting down and we see uh I, I like her i like her vegetarian i like her Gravitating towards the celeries and the tomatoes, Uh, I think it's interesting. I mean, it wasn't interesting when Chakotay did it, but it is interesting watching her do it, and it's interesting watching Flocks just fucking take food off her plate, like some real crash shit. There, it's it's a great scene
0: because Flocks demonstrates his emotional wisdom. Like he, what I really like about his character is that they position him as basically space dad to all of these people yes he is often giving them what you might call fatherly advice and to paul is not immune to you know having to basically concede the point right that his advice is good and this scene is about him kind of navigating to paul's concerns and reservations and reframing the situation in such a way that she understands like these humans are out here to experience things that they have not experienced before and see things they have not seen before. But that also does include the opportunity for you to help them experience Vulcans differently, right? That's the subtext of what he's saying is, isn't part of your mission here to make it so that humans and Vulcans get along better? Isn't this a way to do that? If... Archer and trip come back from this experience at this, at this monastery with a greater appreciation of Vulcan culture. Isn't that enhancing not only their experience, but the diplomatic the relations between the two races. And
1: uh, she's like, oh, you son of a you charming son of a bitch. You're right. <laughs> like He got me. She is becoming a very interesting point of the series for me because she's obviously being heavily focused on because she's hot. I think. And they're having her character do interesting stuff that at times feels very at odds with her other behaviors. And I lay a lot of this with inconsistency on Archer failing to grow, but like, all right, uh, I got assigned to the ship because my boss told me to, and then we did the thing and we lost the Klingon and we should have given up. But for whatever reasons that weren't really fleshed out, great in broken bow. Um, I decide instead of just turning the ship around, I'm going to respect Archer's wishes as he lays healing in the, the med bay. And we're going to pursue this to resolution. And and now we have resolved the Klingon incident. And it's time for me to go back to my enclave and be happy. But Archer's going to have this, hey, listen, you know, I really need you out there moment. Please do me a solid favor and stay in. What we find out in this episode is basically a disgusting, filthy barn of stink, right? <laughs> stay in a place that you should actively hate because I need you. But I also need you to do me a second favor that I can't ask for you to be here. I need you to do me a solid and make it seem like you need to be here to oversee us. Right. And then we fall back six steps by the next episode. where We're back to resenting you and, and causing all this unneeded antagonism and, and just falling in this loop where we, We kind of patch things up and i come to respect you but then i'm giving you shit again the very next episode now in this episode she's going to be confronted with like peer review right and it seems to bounce back and forth like why do you care about these humans and it hasn't really been other than archer pulling her out of fire in that firefight right right and this is back in broken bow when um they're on, this, they're on
0: Omega. Yeah. They're on
1: Omega, and there's a shootout, and he runs out to save her, and I think he gets shot in the leg in the process from that. Yeah, or that's whatever. how she
0: was inca- incapacitated to begin with.
1: So, like, unless there's a component to Vulcans being Wookiees with, like, that... What, what's the life? It's a life debt. A life... So, unless she has a life debt to Archer, and I missed the scene where she makes a big fucking deal out of it, like, that's really been the only time that there has been some huge benefit to her character, or something really endearing between humanity and her. But she continues to, under duress and protest at times, follow all of the orders. Basically, pick humanity's side over Vulcan. By the end of this, right? She chooses humanity, and, and therefore truth. You know, like I, I, I get that, and we'll, we'll talk more about that. But there haven't really been any huge favors or anything to me that really justifies the amount of shit she's eaten and not only eaten shit you know you, you've got fucking trip threatening to kill her in that crazy cave
0: yeah like she's actually kind of got more in her column of
1: i have suffered rather than i owe these people by a wide not just margin suffered now. because you stink and you guys are fucking stupid i don't like I hanging out to, with you, but like i don't really have absolutely. to take
0: drugs to not smell you <laughs>
1: You, you tried to shoot me in a cave and also got us in, you know, potentially a situation where we we're going to have our fluids stuck out from hoses while we were upside down in, in trash bags in spider spider attack episode. But also uh, in this episode, when Archer th- questions her loyalty, she gets all fucking bent out of shape. Like, does she have a secret crush on Archer? Like, what what is justifying the extremes she is going through on a regular basis and the shit she's putting up with for a very minimal personal reward are they going to address that they do i i don't want to say anything else because it is actually a plot point later but
0: i think you're right to have picked up on it and i wonder if they ever they intended it to be that subtle i guess and when we arrive at the reason as to why maybe we can have reignite this conversation to say I mean, you by by the sixth episode, you were already kind of like dialed into like, why she put up with this shit? And was How this enough for a reason? is
1: it that we can sit there and say, hey, here's all these open threads. Are they ever going to be resolved? Are we ever going to see the dinosaur people again? Yeah, Whatever. I don't just tell you no. <laughs> what happens to the uh, the Klingassians or what the hell are those guys called the newest action figure line of G.I. Joe to threaten Voyagers. Uh, oh Ooh, yeah, the the, the vaudoir Oh great! You know, hey, these seem. This seems like a really important thing. Like, no, it just disappears, never to be heard from again. That's how nice for there to be like, hey, this shit doesn't seem to add up. Are they going to explain this? Yeah, we're going to give resolution on that. Like, great. How fucking refreshing. <laughs> Is a low expectation, but boy, we'll clear it. Yeah, that's a fucking uh,
0: Stockholm syndrome, man. Speaking of uh, low expectations, DePaul uh, does not think that her uh, hairless uh, monkey friends are necessarily going to be the best guests. She gives them a very quick but very thorough rundown of what will be expected of them as they visit this monastery, as to how to how to converse when spoke spoken to, to maintain respective silences. It's a it's a cultural uh, drill sergeant moment.
1: Lots of instructions. Uh, that are happening in a briefing that is literally happening with one foot on the shuttle already. Like, there's going to be a lot of stuff that we talk about, like well, maybe, or, you know, last episode, like maybe we should have a procedure that you have to check in every 10 minutes. Maybe we should make sure we're scanning the landing zone for foreign craft. Hey, maybe we should like sit down in a room and actually have a proper military briefing before we're getting on the ship. Before that, there's a there's a line of dialogue. I can't let go. They get into orbit. They try hailing down. There's no reply. And Archer, who basically twisted T-Paul's, I can't say it, to paul who basically <laughs> twists her fucking arm behind her back and says, no, introduce me to these people. We are going. That's an order. All of a sudden, she's like, well, listen, I can't get them on the phone. Um, maybe it's no big deal. Well, hey, listen, I don't like just dropping by unannounced. And it's like, oh, really? Since which, when? Was, <laughs> which was this? Because I seem to recall in that episode where we almost got our fucking juices sucked out, there was a freighter that didn't want anything, seemingly didn't want anything to do with us, and not only did you swing by unannounced, you were ready to blow a fucking hole in the hatch with C4 to force entry, so wow, what a change of heart.
0: I mean, I guess you always get your juices sucked out, maybe you start thinking you should phone ahead.
1: How often does you learn, you learn that lesson? How often does he pull a? I'm gonna call it a Janeway like 180 on his principles and (laughs) behaviors. A lot. (laughs) Okay, we we need we need a rework of Faith of the Heart that's going to be called Change of the Heart. (laughs) I've had a change of Um, the heart. uh, I don't know if I'm gonna call or shoot you. there's this will be a thing i'm gonna have to rework some lyrics oh god i might have to listen to actual song to. <laughs> oh no oh, the, the lengths it. i'm willing to go to for trek all right
0: so they, they make their way down to the monastery they get to the door and tucker's like why is this door bashed in again, again <laughs> t- t- trip tucker is once again the best part of anything he's in because he is just like this blunt as shit
1: southerners like this seems like this is bad captain (laughs) everything seems really nice and well maintained except for this door kicked off its fucking hinges like the police just dropped by without a warrant you can almost expect him to say we're gonna get shot in
0: here aren't we (laughs) like he's already seeing past the scripts he sees what's gonna happen like i've already been impregnated by a lizard person on this journey (laughs) My seskis senses are tingling. Something's something's fucky. They go inside and there is a a Vulcan monk in there, and the Paul goes over and is like, Oh, they're in their deep culinar, they can't be disturbed for a month, so we're gonna have to just go. And then, you know, Archer and Trip are like, Okay, you know, it stinks, but I totally understand. At least we got to see the outside of it. And uh Paul turns back to the elder and says May um, I ask the, the stone of offering for my, my honored guests? And that provides a beat within the scene for the camera to kind of go around and show like the obvious level of things being broken in here. And then a, a you know, statue has been turned over and Paul kind of notices this and brings up to, to Trip and Archer like, um, I don't think this is
1: right uh <laughs> what was that, dragons, and dragons called
0: uh ro- rolled was it uh spot made a spot check good one too yeah yeah man it made, it rolled that 18 on the spot check and was like oh, that comes right. fucked
1: up and uh you know that statues ajar and a sense motive odd. yeah oh yeah <laughs> yeah the, the, i thought it was really clever that to paul
0: kind of leaned into the the bit that archer and trip started when she communicated, like something's fucked up here, and they kind of picked up on it, and they're like, "Okay, well, we'll just kind of be our loud, obnoxious selves, and that might reveal what's going on, right? Like if we, op- if we open up the 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 field of potential reactions, maybe there's something else to Paul can figure out what's going on. We're gonna do all the stuff you
1: specifically told us not, not, not to only- do. Hey, you guys want to go ahead and make spot checks? Um, no, actually, I think we're just gonna be really obnoxious and see what happens. <laughs> So T'Pol, like, leans into it and starts, like, kind of, like, basically giving them permission
0: by, by not stopping them and then kind of asking leading questions for them to continue to be obnoxious assholes as this is going on and they're like moving around the room finally Archer notices that there are people behind a wooden divider and then does just this, the most brilliant thing you could possibly do in the circumstance which is break the wooden divider and attempt to double tackle whoever is there just like, Archer is get bad. him Ray. <laughs> fucking
1: stupid I know
0: how is this the move? How is the move, not? So here you swear. Talk about what you've seen. Oh, you know, like, hey, there's people hiding out there. There might be a hostage situation. We should get guns. Like, we should figure out what we're going to do.
1: Are you reading my notes? Because like, <laughs> this is in Voyager, all right? In this version of Starfleet, you don't go on a diplomatic mission armed to the fucking teeth, right? Right. Like Janeway and Chakotay did when visiting the president of a planet. You're down there alone no guns you came down thinking you're going to get to walk through a turret a uh, 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 a fucking a gift shop. yeah you know you're looking forward to the gift shop not uh getting in a fist fight and like yeah you could it's just been like hmm shit's real fucky here exactly what you said at least let's go back to the ship and call god forbid go up to the ship and get some fucking guns and come down with dudes you're just gonna attack whatever it is back there let's just hope it doesn't have like electro grasps or (laughs) doesn't have like fucking swords for arms and kills all three of you. Or isn't like even half as strong as a Vulcan and fucking puts our head through the wall. So yeah, yeah, they, they, they start a bar brawl, which they kind of win until dudes with guns come in and tell them to knock it the fuck off.
0: (laughs) So uh, this begins the episodes strong B plot. And that B plot is, uh, Captain Archer's constant head wounds. This man gets like four fucking concussions worth of, of head wounds in this episode. It's kind of fucking absurd. He gets the shit absolutely kicked out of him like every Here's, five
1: minutes. This is a this is a social justice episode. The writers, the executive producers, the showrunners look back at their body of work, which is basically. Uh, cumulative, I don't know, 16 years of Worf and B'lana, Taurus and Tuvok getting their asses kicked all the time, and the question is, why is it just the minorities in Star Trek get like <laughs> the shit kicked out of them over and over? And they said, you know what, it's our turn. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna catch up that score count of ass beatings, and there were a lot of ass beatings handed out to B'lana, Taurus and Tuvok, so. Archer had a lot of his ass to get kicked in this episode, and it does. It, he gets beat up to a point where you I think we legitimately have to ask ourselves, is Jonathan Archer a masochist? Is
0: he even brain damaged? <laughs> like, which is like all of his bads. are forward. punchy. it because he's fucking Andorians just kept hitting him in the face over and over again. And then like they make a point of showing like he is fucked up. Like he'll come back from different interrogations with the Andorians and he'll just like sp- spit in blood and he'll have new
1: wounds. It's like these guys absolutely like, Put him in a bad place. You know, Vulcans are stronger than humans. I'm going to have to, for the sheer fact he doesn't die or have like his teeth completely knocked out of his mouth. I'm gonna have to assume that like the average Endoran is as strong as my four year old, okay. and that like yeah, they're hitting him, but like when they keep going to town like hitting him with the butt of the gun over and over, the reason why his skull doesn't just collapse is because it's it's like a a twenty pound four year old hitting him.
0: I mean, uh, this is the only... Ex- that or, apparently, the 22nd century, they have, like, skull-enhancing cyberware.
1: <laughs> he got, like, a fucking upgrade before he left Earth. You know what? Post-World War 3 I'm willing to believe that that may have happened. Yeah, he's got, like, some sort of, like, genetic mutation of a super skull. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're thrown into
0: the back room with all the monks. We get to hear that these are the... The Andorians, uh, their commander is Shran, who is the one played by Jeffrey Combs. We've already praised him a bit. He does a fantastic job playing a very militaristic and paranoid officer. And they are present because they are 100% convinced that the Vulcans are spying in Andoria via this monastery. And Evidently, according to the monks, this is not the first time that they have showed up thinking that this is the case. And they'll show up and they'll ransack the place and then they'll leave again. And the Vulcans have decided the right thing to do is just let them show up, do their thing. I'll see there's nothing wrong and they'll leave. And there's a little background as well as that, you know, the Andorians and the Vulcans never got along. They've got a peace treaty, but the, the Andorians don't, really don't trust them. And that's why this is happening.
1: Um, Quick criticism towards the the crew of the Enterprise is, again, you You're the first crew into space. This should be a big deal. Shout out to Jack, by the way, in the trauma support group for really encapsulating a lot of my complaints about the behavior I've seen out of Enterprise and Starfleet. This is a big fucking deal. This isn't just like, hey, here's a, a, we're going to, you know, flippantly just quick decision. Yeah, we're going to send out a, a fucking spacecraft and let it do a thing like this is the pinnacle of human achievement. This is a big deal. There should be tons of support. Earth should be hyper aware of what's going on. You should have a lot of involvement and you should have the best of the best, the best on enterprise. Part of that being like, hey, maybe you should sit down and take a look at a fucking Vulcan book or two and memorize, if I can memorize all the fucking races in D&D and all the other silly games I play, there right. is no reason the fucking captain of the Enterprise should not know every known species and as much about it as possible inside and out that the Vulcans provided to them. So it, it's silly that they don't really have any frame of reference for who these Andorians are, or the Klingons, or this and that. I think to defend
0: why they had to do that, oh, though... Oh, Joe, you... No, it's a production thing. It's just that if if they don't know, then they can justify explaining it to the audience. That's what I mean. that's, fair, that's that's fair. the reason why that
1: trope exists. Fair. Um, My big criticism on this episode, however, is going to be. The Ram. <sighs> there's a twist at the end. They want to get there and there's a lot of stuff they have to do to get us there. But the fact that this is like the fourth time now that the Andorians have raided the the monastery, mm-hmm. and that Vulcan hasn't just dispatched a chip to hang out in orbit and, and keep these fools away. And you could say, well, you know, we don't want to encourage violence and blah, blah, blah. But especially by the end, like them finding the thing, like this is an important place. So, unless it's some radical splinter faction and they don't have like big support, which by the map painting, uh, <laughs> super bat cave lurking beneath this thing. <laughs> Clearly, there's some government <laughs> juice behind uh, it was this like, Area 51 down there. It, it was huge. <laughs> it was comically large. It was like the fucking Terridrome from, from Ninja Turtles. Like,
0: <laughs> it was crazy large.
1: Yeah, like, so you're completely, you have been, prov- I get it. The first time, we're, okay, we don't have a ship in orbit because now it looks suspicious. But like, after the third fucking time you've been raided. I think you're justified in having a ship in orbit to keep things away. And also to going back to like the fact that clearly these Zendorians hit like children, (laughs) you have the opposite, which as Tuvok has shown us, every Vulcan is uh, a T-800 Terminator that can pick people up and fuck them up badly. Right. Uh, So four dudes with what I'm going to call flashlight guns, because I don't know. These things might as well be nerf dart launchers. People get shot. Nobody dies. Maybe occasionally a strayed laser bolt will like knock, a face. Over a, yeah, you know. knock over a fucking paper mache cup and break that. But like the fact that the Vulcans never just clobber these guys, spank them and send them on their way. There's a lot of suspension of disbelief in this episode to get us to the end, but I mean,
0: I can buy that the monks are, like, pacifistic, but they clearly know what the fuck is going on. Yeah, it's a little weird. uh, Like, why is the tactic, like, if we do nothing, then we will not validate their suspicions and they'll go because we want this to stay covert? I mean, maybe that's the logic, right? The logic is, if we continue to not defend this place, we reemphasize there's nothing here. You know, if we send a ship in orbit, then we're maybe you know, making them think that they need to continue to come back. If we, if we spank them and send them on their way, maybe they come back with four ships and actually shoot to kill, you know, like we just continually don't do anything and we can keep our fucking covert terror down here.
1: On the other hand, that's a lot of faith to put behind a trick bookcase and <laughs> a curtain. Okay. Yeah that is the extent of the security that they have you've got a bunch of and, and real quick it's not just monks on this thing right this is uh this is a monastery where people who are performing the was it kolnacht or something Kolinar. the kolinar go so you, you could have uh you know vulcan i don't know car mechanics and government bureaucrats and soldier i don't know if they have soldiers but it's not just monastery monks there like there's other people from Vulcan society there. There might not be held to this vow of peace or whatever. And you'd also think that there'd be like, you know, some agents mixed in to like hide the secret facility there. But yeah, at the end of it, hey, there's catacombs that you can only get to if you go through this bookcase, which apparently uh, the Andorians don't have tricorders uh, or know how to like knock on the wall like a movie looking for like the hollow thing. Uh, and then you get down to the big room where there is a drape across the (laughs) secret laboratory. Uh, uh, (laughs) Worse, worse opsec
0: than the Russian army is what we're saying.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So there's some real flimsy shit. I like this episode. There's some real flimsy shit in this episode. I've acknowledged it. We can move on.
0: There's a lot of interrogation return from interrogation and then trip going down past into the bookcase to try and contact the ship because the ticking clock is actually that Archer is concerned that Malcolm Reed will show up with a whole bunch of dudes with guns and just start blasting like Danny DeVito. <laughs> like That is his actual concern is like, here's the problem. I hired Malcolm Reed that he's going to get concerned that we're not phoning home and he's eventually going to figure out there is bad things happening down here. So he's going to get all of the dudes and they're going to have all their guns and they're just going to come down and be like, get yeah,
1: hands up. And it's going to create a problem. Quick side note. That's why I hired him. He is doing exactly what I want him to do. (laughs) Yes. Even if I don't want him to do it. Like, I don't want him to do it right
0: now, but that is literally why I hired him. Because he's like, hey, I don't know where the captain is. Quick, get the assault rifles. Like, that is his mode. And that is why he is employed by me. But unfortunately, I'm here, and T'Pol is here, and Trip is here. So guess what? He's in charge. <laughs> so we we have to we have to corral him before his is is get the gats mentality takes
1: over. And the concern here is if they come down and have the shootout, they'll probably win because these Endorians hit like little kids, and they have nerf blasters. But It's going to create a diplomatic incident since we showed up uninvited. And all of the vibes we've gotten from the Vulcan leader guy is that they're okay with this happening and we are complicating a situation and we might damage a holy site, which is at this stage of the plot, fair concerns.
0: So they are attempting to reach him to prevent him from doing so. And actually Trip does succeed in in basically getting the message to him of, the uh, plz do not come down here with guns we're trying to figure out a way through this you know the captain's busy getting the shit kicked out of him about a billion times by this andorian dude so you know he's gonna keep that up until he doesn't know where he is anymore and then we'll we'll have a plan
1: shout out to uh andorian she Le- puts his name shran shran yeah shran's lackey who i don't know if you recognized him but he was one of the crew members from equinox Oh, okay.
0: Well, you know, from
1: from being one creepy henchman to another, one a a <laughs> war criminal to a uh, let's call him rape inclined, yeah, aspire,
0: aspiring rapist.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> wow. Yeah. Like from the moment he lays eyes onto Paul, is like, I want to have sex
1: with that, but only if it is unwilling, only if it's non consensual. Not not a cool dude. We get some some good lines again up on the ship okay, yeah, we, we see the Andorian vessel. Why didn't the shuttle detect it? Well, you know, we don't scan for bad guys when we're on diplomatics. Maybe we should. Uh, why isn't the way team checked in? Well, me, you know, do you want them to check in every 10 minutes? Yeah, maybe they should. Like a lot of fun uh, standard operating procedure being formed here under duress. And as I always joke, like my company handbook used to be like a page and now it's this big unwieldy fucking thing and people are like, gosh. And I'm like, yeah, well, look, Everything's in there because of a specific reason. I can tell you about that is regret and woe. Like, yes, these things.
0: This, when you read something in this, you should keep in
1: mind someone fucked this up at some point, and that's why it's in here. Also, uh, let's call it the c plot of the episode. Humans stink, and poor Tapal. <laughs> yeah, so we find out Tapal has been taking a you
0: know, nasal spray to prevent her scent uh, organs from working at. at peak performance because that way she doesn't have to live with the stench of humans uh, quite as, quite as much uh, to the point where she would rather freeze than, than share a blanket with Archer at
1: first. Oh, so, there's a lot of other things at play there, which I'd like to discuss in a moment, but uh, them really leaning into the fact that humans think do humans stink. Do you think that Vulcans just have an aversion to the smell that humans create? Um, by the time we get to the 24th century, does, tuvok has he evolved past the point of smelling it or have the uh vulcan successfully launched a campaign for the federation to endorse a specific kind of soap that gets rid of that stink
0: you know this is the larper problem man he's gotta give you just gotta give him the opportunity to get that shower you know like they just need to learn better grooming skills
1: hey you know there you go maybe uh the sonic showers address the issue there you go Yes, they Vulcans invent the sonic shower specifically to keep humans from being stank. And as we find out in this episode, the Vulcans are liars and very duplicitous. There's there's much more to the Romulan uh, heritage there than we initially thought. But yeah, hey, look, this is great. Look at all this water we're going to save and the environment and power consumption. And it's going to specifically destroy this bacteria that we can't stand on the monkey's (laughs) armpits and (laughs) groin area. But no, it's really cool. You guys are going to love these from the from the bottom of our heart and the goodness of our heart. This this is for you. Not so, about all. Friends. There isn't much to the like medium part of the
0: episode that is like worth necessarily going bit by bit. You, the interrogations are neat for you get a real sense of like how militant and paranoid the Andorians are. And you get a lot of Archer basically hamming it up, including at one point where he like takes like a, a essentially a marker. To find out if this wall in the area he's being interrogated in actually goes into these tunnels and that sort of thing. But they're they're hatching their plan, which is they need to figure out a way to get these guys down
1: to like ambush these dudes so they can get out of here. Also, a big part of this is there's no technology on the planet. And Shran specifically made a point to destroy the communicators from the Enterprise crew members. Uh, and hey, how are you in a planet out in the middle of nowhere? That's being frequently raided and you don't have any radio. Oh, well, it turns out we do have a radio. It's just old as fuck in these catacombs, which will take you down. So there's a quick <laughs> plot there with uh, Trip fixing this old, funky radio. And that's in the point where they say, OK, we we, we might have a plan to seize these guys. We fixed the radio. We've now got a way to contact Enterprise and say, hey, don't come down looking to kick ass just yet because of reasons, but we got a plan.
0: The plan they come up with is they're going to actually transport, uh, reed and his oh his security team down which is a point of contention on the ship itself between the security guards who are like i have heard stories about the soul sucking machine that guy they brought up from uh the reefer madness planet he was he had like plants in his brain he's got plant brain now this is this is kind of this is dangerous and reed's like sure
1: is get in i don't want to lose my soul tough shit you are going to die in this thing and be reassembled on a plant surface what i needed was that guy and it's the worst fucking plan i I figure they're going to do something cool or lure him down in the the catacombs the plan is beam down arm people and then we're going to go through the catacombs up behind a wall and instead of just, there's so it's, it's a face. There's two eyes in yep. a mouth slot. You can see past it. I don't know if it's like a Yeah. Heater. That's exactly what it is. Oh, Tolmec from Legends of the Hidden Temple. That's exactly yep. what I. That might even be what happened to him after they shut that show down. Maybe that yeah. they reuse. Instead of just these massive eyes that you could throw a fucking football through, instead of just shooting the four, again, it's only four <laughs> people. Right. Instead of just shooting these dudes with your phasers and, and zonking them out. Because you're afraid of having violence in a holy place and you don't want to destroy dishes and and plates. They blow a fucking hole in the wall. (laughs) And they start a massive firefight. They start a massive firefight between their their shitty guns that... It is ridiculous. What I need is that security guy who's worried about getting his soul ripped out, being like, hey, you know, instead of us risking our lives to go um, neutralize these terrorists, why don't we just beam them up here and maybe mangle them and stuff. <laughs> like let's suck their souls out and then put them in our prison like these are the guy these these guys have the captain held hostage with guns and they're threatening to kill people like they cut the andorians speaking of flimsy stuff the amount of slack archer cuts these fools who have been beating the fuck out of him for the past 12 hours is insane unforgivable the the firefight continues
0: into a running running gun into the catacombs and eventually into apparently a sacred reliquary storeroom where they are like this this more gunfire erupts and there's a clear hesitance on the part of the monks to let anyone down into this part so it's like this you know the checkoffs gun of like eventually they are going to go down there and that is where the twist will happen yes And and sure enough the, the gunfight
1: continues the gunfight real quick and again to establish the odds here of or or to put into scope this is like a four bad guy versus 22 good guy situation. Yeah. Now, actually at this point it's two good guy versus
0: like eight or it's two bad guys versus eight good guys I think explicitly it's like the f- it's it's the three away team members that are still up and the three main cast
1: members in the monk so it was seven and then the versus the- two <laughs> 30-some superhuman, super strong monks that could have pinched these guys on the neck at any point. That was, again, I get the story they're trying to tell. There's this ramrod element. Like, as they're all kept, like, all the prisoners are kept in the same room, not under supervision. Like, the number of times you've seen a jailbreak in Star Trek where someone hides behind the door or just over the door and they attack the guy as they come through, like, there were... 600 opportunities for them to launch a jailbreak here. I, again, they're trying to get us to a point where everybody comes down to this old crusty room. I find it ridiculous that as they're in the catacombs, like the reliquary room, which is the entrance to the bat cave has like spider webs <laughs> and doesn't look like anybody's been down there for hundreds of years. Except it's for fun. this giant silver door that goes into Did the That looks like the fucking, what was it? Uh, Cerebro from X-Men. Yes. <laughs> patrick stewart's on the other side of that wall filming x-men actually that's that's what's happening in there
0: so they you know they find the door and archer just was like yo can you guys stop shooting for a second this is not supposed to be here and then the twist occurs because they open the door and sure enough the Andorians were right all along the Vulcans are in fact using this monastery as cover to spy on them. In fact, spy them so hard it's kind of impressive. As you already mentioned, putting a lot of texture into the Vulcans are from the same genetic, you know, sort of pool as the as the Romulans. Like, there's a level of deceit that is within the Vulcan character that uh, we haven't seen before. And this is obviously shocked Archer that they are actually doing this, and he is so shocked by it he makes to Paul take a record that this place exists with her tricorder and then give it to Shran as if to say "fuck you." This was act- they were actually right all along. You are double crossing them on your treaty. I got my crap he- he- you know beat out of me by telling this guy I don't know anything. And uh, it turns out he was right
1: to be suspicious. So uh, I'm gonna make you have to uh, rat out your own people. Lots going on here, and I want to jump back in time. Uh, once they get the radio and they start working on it, there's only enough blankets to go around. And Trip refuses the blanket because it's going to slow him down while he's fixing the radio. And then they say, "Well, here, Archer, you can have it." And Archer goes, "No, to Paul, you should have it." And she says, well, you need it more because I'm a uh, super Saiyan Vulcan and we don't, you know, we're we're, we're so much. He goes, "Okay, no, get under the blanket with me. We can share. You stink. More and more of that. Uh, But it's during that very awkward. My boss just ordered me to cuddle with me moment. Yes. (laughs) Where he lays out, hey, listen, um, shit might go sideways here. And I don't think the Vulcans are going to like what I'm doing. I've already been condemned, basically. I need to know uh, if I start shooting up this Vulcan holy site, which side are you going to be on? And that's where she gets real bent out of shape. But that ties into our earlier argument, Um, this fierce loyalty. And I think if I'm going to cut the episode some slack, like this effort justification paradigm that she has fallen into, where she has gone to extreme lengths already in the six episodes up to this point. Um, So for her loyalty to be questioned, I get why she's getting pissed about it because she's done some real silly shit on their behalf. But once we hit this point at the end, along with the shock of not only Shran that this place exists and Archer seeing like, wow, these Vulcans are shitty and have been lying and letting me get my fucking ass kicked while giving me shit. Right. But I think T'Pol does a good job of being surprised herself. And yeah, for no, whatever agree. shittiness you're supposed to be seeing with, like, Archer saying, like, you got to prove to me now that you're on our side, which she resolves by saying, all right, Enterprise, don't fire on the ship while it's leaving. But I think there is some real like she's taken aback by what she has seen. And she I'm not going to say shame, but like. This shit's fucked up and she recognizes it. And yeah, I think- yeah there is a
0: clear undercurrent through everyone's reaction of amazement they are upset at this you know like their archer does not like that this has been what what happened he, he he does not like that he just found out that the vulcans were fucking two-timing and doing this because i'm sure it's running through his own head of like oh what are they doing to us right like i didn't even consider that you know because he's I'm already thinking... suspicious of them
1: and now it's like oh oh these what? guys are fucking dirty What I was thinking is like, is at any point, is he like, hmm, before I tell I order one of my crew members to get evidence of this place and then let this for all intents and purposes terrorist escape, maybe I should like chill out and contact Earth and see if like maybe Admiral Forrest knows about this or the president. Maybe there's bigger things above my head and this listening outpost is a big fucking deal before I potentially shatter my relation or earth's relationship with the, the Vulcans about this. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a great point. Like, yeah, if they're doing this to these guys, what are they doing to us? I would like to have this to been the second episode of the series. And I think if this was the second episode, Hey, this is safe water. We don't need to worry about our fucking torpedoes working. You know, this is just a safe milk run while we're out here. Let's go check out this planet. This shit go down. And this to create, if if we're going to make Paul a big deal, create that rift between her and the Vulcan High Council, where she is forced to be confronted with like, man, maybe there is a legitimate reason why the humans are so shitty towards the Vulcans. I can't believe this happens. um, And creates that reason for her to maybe have a uh, crew of the Enterprise over... Vulcan loyalty card in play to the degree it seems to be in all the other stuff we've seen prior I mean they'll, they're gonna flesh out some of the stuff
0: you know along those lines so that maybe make some of the things make sense and, and provide context for T'Pol's accepting what's going on here you, you'll have to decide if it's good enough
1: you know but... Well, speaking to that too like I enjoyed this episode I feel like even the, in our discussion with you like yeah, we probably nitpicked a bunch because of the fucking stupid nonsense. We did. We did. I mean, like, they're okay. At the end, you want this episode is about the Vulcans are actually shitty, and when confronted with that, Archer's choice is to be a good Paladin and let the this let Shran leave with the information because, um, you know. Picard's the
0: Andorians deserve to know that they're being fucking two-timed on by the vulcans like Take, if it's uh, actually tra- happening they should know and shran actually like you know make, makes a note like i owe you you fucking you you didn't have to let us do
1: this so thank you this is archer basically building that speech for picard to lay on wesley about the first duty of a starfleet, starfleet officer to is to the truth, truth. Right. right that this that's here this is where it happens right Um, but to get us to that point where we find the secret laboratory, there's so much three stooges shit. And I feel (laughs) literally, you know, I get 22 guys in a room, anyone could touch an Endor and just knock him the fuck out and take his gun away. I feel like we're translating these bad stories into something good. We're continually making excuses for, uh, bad storytelling elements because there's something cool there. There's something worth getting excited about, and I don't know, I don't think it's that we're making excuses
0: Our, you know we are taking the piss out of the kind of the stupid t v tricks, right? like that's what we're doing is that they they kind of got a little bit um had to force things a little bit to make this plot work they wanted to, where the Andorians discover this this pterodrome where this is happening, right like the background of this episode demanded you get to a certain resolution and so they had to kind of force things in places but in between that they there's a lot of good content about yes you know like uh, there's good character moments there's good there's good archer kind of trying to think his way through circumstances he's talking to shran i getting the crappy down shran we get a little we get to know what the fuck the andorians are about you know like they're militaristic they're they've got a, a really a structural hierarchy you know like you get all of that content. you kind of get a sense what's going on with the Vulcans? how's to Paul relate to that like how into knowing what's going on does she know you know the whole the whole act one where they like she gets convinced to to do this because the flocks like there's tons of good content in this episode and I think I if I don't want our review to necessarily overshadow that. This is a good episode. It's actually a lot of fun, it's very engaging. It's just fucking goofy in how they make you get to the point and the 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 stupid decisions that have to be made to get there, but everything else is is way better than I feel like it's the stupid action, TV tricks,
1: you know. It's an action-heavy episode written by people who don't understand plausible action. And yeah, I think that's, that's probably a good way of putting it. Yeah. And maybe, that, maybe that's something Roxanne Dawson as a relatively novice director hasn't figured out. I listen, man, you, you know, the the script laid it out, the, the like blowing the fucking wall open rather than ambushing. I don't know. It just a tactical mind was not consulted in writing the action sequences or the order of events here. And I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe that's part of the charm of uh, era Trek is that the fights suck and people do silly things. And, you know, that's that's part of that harmless charm. You get too deep and too cutthroat and too bloodthirsty. You ended up with stuff like, you know, the Red Wedding out of uh, out of Lord of the Rings, like not Lord, <laughs> Lord of the out Rings of, <laughs> out of uh, Game <laughs> of Thrones and had, uh, I don't know, had Enterprise just beamed these Andorian bad guys into space uh, and taken the smartest, most brutal way through the the problem. It wouldn't leave you with a charming aftertaste the way that this does. God, what if that was the real thrust of this episode is like why the Federation has rules on you don't use a transporter effect. as a
0: weapon. This is the, Seska, the Seska rule. <laughs> 200 years before she exists.
1: Yeah. that That's the episode of Enterprise I want. <laughs> why there are rules that you don't do that. Well... I I, Well, yeah, I was going to try to find a way to position and and fucking Andorians get beamed up and like their guns are built on their arms and you have like these proto bulg proto Borg Andorian cyborgs.
0: Well, there are no proto Borg alien cyborgs in our next
1: episode, Peter. But what is it? We're moving into breaking the ice and we see Enterprise flying alongside a comet tail. Season one, episode eight, a Vulcan starship interferes with Archer's probe of an oversized comet. Well, uh, seeing as how he just fucked up their secret <laughs> listening station, I would say much the same way the... Uh, the, uh, the God, what were those Predator guys? The Harkonnen? Not the Harkonnen. When Voyager fucked up that array. and like, Oh, the Hirogen. The, yeah, much the same way that uh, Voyager deserve having the Hirogen six feet up their ass. I'd say uh, Enterprise is absolutely due for some Vulcan hazing at this point right and we will endure that hazing along with the rest of you thank you for listening
0: to video please Have a voyage. No, thank you for listening to blah, fuck look see okay listen everybody it's hard to do this show with Peter because he keeps making these mistakes and they infect my brain and now I'm making mistakes alright <clears throat> fuck it <laughs> we'll talk to you next week you know where we're at fuck it